we will be in Luke. We'll talk about the birth of Jesus and the way that the way that the Holy Spirit told the story about Jesus being born. And so we want to do that and then make some points. Although I'll make one other announcement. We do have Christmas cards in the back. If you haven't looked, take a look and see if there's any surprises back there for you. Whether you've put cards in there or not, doesn't matter. We have people that love to give Christmas cards, so um, check the box on the little in that little alcove in the in the foyer in the back and look for your name. They're in alphabetical order. They should be in alphabetical order. And we'll go through it later and check to see if there's some that were out of order that people missed and we'll hunt you down <laughs> and deliver the cards to you. It reminds me, I, I, we have taught here and, and heard teachings on how we, we want God to bless us and we want folks to be blessed and we want to teach in a way so that we, we so come into alignment with God's will and purposes for us that his blessings chase us down and overcome us. I don't, I mean, it's nice that we go after blessings, but I want to be so positioned before God that his blessings chase me down and come after me and tackle me and just say, whether you like it or not, you're going to be blessed. That's awesome. That's what God wants to do. And so uh, let's learn to position ourselves. Luke chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 5. And this is the way that uh, God tells the story of Jesus' birth. In Luke, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. That's interesting that, that Luke said. Luke, Luke is a, for those of you that know teacher redemptive gift, he goes into detail. Uh, he just he uh, he gives you he gives you facts that nobody else does. So just look at the first. He says Herod was king of Judea, and there's a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. Now, what does that mean to you? Does that mean does Abijah mean anything to you? Yeah, you probably read that and go, okay, just one of those Bible kind of things. But you know what they've actually done with the with that information. When Moses set up uh, worship in the desert with the tabernacle, there were priestly divisions, and the priestly divisions were separated, I think, in 24, 24 throughout the year, something like that, different divisions. So a priest who was called to go to the tabernacle and minister would go for two weeks and then come home. And then when his time was in, he would go again. So what's the big deal with Abijah? Well, Abijah was one of those divisions it was named after uh, one of the priests at that time his name was Abijah and it was the the Abijah regimen that came in so what happened with this is I wasn't planning on saying this but I just thought just for this just a tidbit um, with the other information that Luke gives Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD and so all of the priestly services and worship stopped because the temple was destroyed then. 
but historically they know which priestly group was ministering when the temple was destroyed. So they counted backwards in time because the Jews were very regimented in how they did it. And so they went back to where they found the time where Zechariah would have been in the tabernacle or in the temple ministering. They figured out when John the Baptist would be born. They determined when Jesus would have been born. Do you know when it is, according to the details that Luke gave? When was Jesus born? September 29th, 2 BC. If you figure it out that way. So really it was in the fall, September 29th, was actually probably as close as they can determine when he was born. And it's right around the time of one of the Jewish feasts, and I don't remember offhand which one it was. Anyway, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. Okay, so that's so when you see that name and you think, well, what difference does that make? Sometimes God puts details in just so that we can take it from there. But that's not what we want to talk about today. Here we go. Uh, verse 6, both of them were righteous. It's interesting that he says both of them were righteous. Okay, these are not just normal, everyday, like, people. These were righteous. In other words, they served God. They were holy. They were, they were intentional about their relationship with God and, uh, and serious about it. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, which was their practice, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Which is the reaction of most people when they encounter an angel. Fear. Fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So here we have a couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, are nearing the end of their lives. They're old, as the scripture told us, but the one thing that they desired more than anything was a child, and they didn't have a child. The one thing that would make their lives complete was offspring, and they had no offspring. And so Zechariah gets chosen by Lot. And you understand that when you're chosen by Lot, that priests could go through their service in the temple and never be chosen to go in to burn incense. They could never be... I mean, it was an honor for someone to be able to 
to be able to do that and to be chosen. And they used the Urim and Thummim, which is those kind of like dice things that the priest carried in his pouch. I won't say his pouch, but his ephod. They were designed by God. Moses made them according to the pattern he saw on the mountain. And so that's how they determined things was with uh, the Urim and Thummim. And so apparently Zechariah was picked and he went in. And he went into what you could consider to be the second holiest place in the world. It was right next to the table of incense. Because the holiest place was the Holy of Holies where the ark was. And he didn't go into the Holy of Holies. The high priest does that once a year. But regularly the priest would go into the holy place where the altar showbread is and where the table of incense is and burn incense before the Lord while the people are praying outside. So he was chosen to go in. It was a great honor for him. And then the angel appears to him and, and scares the willies out of him. And the angel says, don't be afraid. And he says, Zechariah, you're going to have a son. But you're not going to have just any son. You are going to have a great son. Now, can you imagine? Zechariah was probably excited just by the fact that he got to go into the holy place and burn incense there. And then an angel appears to him and tells him that they're going to have a son. He says, you're going to name him John. And the, and the, the word John, the name John means God is gracious. So you're going to have a son whose name means God is gracious and he's going to go before the one who brings grace to the world is born. He's going to be a forerunner of the king of grace. And Zechariah was probably like most of us, like, you're kidding. He said, wait a minute. How's this going to happen? I'm old. Are you sure? Like, are you sure? Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Prove it. He might have been from Missouri. I don't know. The show me state. How can I know this for sure? Why would he have that kind of attitude? He and his wife spent most of their lives, certainly all of their married life, waiting for a child and never got one. Have you ever had something that you really long for and it doesn't come 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 and and you see everybody else around you getting what you want? but your turn never comes up. And what happens after a while? Well, you can start to think that, oh, God doesn't love me, God doesn't care, God this, God that. And so Zechariah says, how can I be sure? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. In other words, he's saying to the angel, you don't know what you're talking about. And what does Gabriel say? The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. (laughs) And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be... Here, you want a sign? You want to know how you're going to know this is really going to happen? You're not going to be able to speak until it all happens. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. You know, it's, it's remarkable that throughout Scripture, godly people, godly people have difficulty believing for the supernatural, especially for themselves. 
If you look at the, the history of it, godly people have a tough time believing the supernatural. They do. Abraham had a problem, so he took his wife's concubine, his wife's maidservant, and had a child with her. You know, because Sarah wasn't, wasn't happening with Sarah, and so oh, we'll try this. And um, Moses, you know, God comes to Moses and I want you to leave my people out of, out of, it, out of Egypt. And he says, I'm, 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 not, I'm not a good talker. I'm not, I can't speak well. And I, he's trying to think, come up with all kinds of excuses. Send my brother Aaron. Because he didn't believe that God could do what he said he was going to do. And many others, Gideon, the Lord comes to Gideon and says, I'm going to use you to deliver. And Gideon's like, what? What are you calling me a mighty warrior for? And so throughout Scripture, there are people who really didn't believe for the supernatural. So um, actually, that's kind of encouraging. Because God wasn't looking for them to be fully on board to use them. So guess what? We can qualify. (laughs) It's not about us. It's about him. It really is. It's about him. It's not about us. I mean, even... Even Abraham, I look, they, they talk about Abraham's, they talk about Abraham's faith. But Abraham doubted God up to a year before Isaac came. Um, the Lord appeared to Abraham and Sarah with the two, the two visitors. The three visitors came on the way to, to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And God said, by this time next year, you're going to have a son. And Sarah laughed. And the angels left, God moved on, and Abraham moved and went to a place, and he said, Sarah, these guys don't know God, they don't revere God, so tell them you're my sister. Lie to them about our relationship, because if they know we're married, they'll kill me so they can have you, because you're a beautiful woman at 90 years of age. So that was the second time God told him that, and he still lied about his wife, and it's like, what kind of faith did Abraham have? He, he was a righteous man. But there were just some places where there was still doubt. That encourages me. And I hope it encourages you. Because sometimes God gives promises to us and he gives words to us and he, and he has things before us that he says, this is going to happen. And we can't see it for the life of us. And you know what? Our experiences scream at us. You have to be crazy to believe this. There's no way this is going to happen. And one thing after another after another comes into your life that actually says to you the exact opposite of what God said was going to happen. And you know what God thinks about all that? doesn't matter. (laughs) Because he can still do it. And he did that for, for Zechariah and Elizabeth. So, Zechariah finishes his service in the holy place, burning the incense. He comes out, and everybody's wondering because he was in there too long. He was kind of having fun with the angel after a while, you know, just enjoying conversation. I wonder what they talked about if they talked about anything else. Finally, he comes out. Everybody's, what happened to him? What, what's, he's a long time coming out. And he comes out, and he can't talk. He needs a parchment and writing instrument and try to tell them what happened. He goes home and old Elizabeth gets pregnant. Just like the angel said. And that's amazing. 
But Gabriel wasn't finished, and Gabriel went to a little town to a teenage girl. You know, teenage girls, girls 12, 13 years old back in those days became engaged. That's when they were engaged, 12, 13 years old. And the engagement lasted a year. And normally when you're engaged, you don't live with that person. You don't come together. You're still separate from one another. But it's a legal contract. It's a binding contract. So if one of the two wants to break the marriage off, they have to actually go through divorce proceedings to break that, even though they've not come together yet. So Mary is visited by Gabriel. In verse 26, it says this, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, it's possible that Mary knew Old Testament scriptures. And it's possible that she would look back on the history of those who were highly favored by God. And those who are highly favored by God didn't always have the most wonderful kinds of stories to tell. I already mentioned Abraham waited years and years and years for his son. Joseph was a man highly favored of God, and he was sold as a slave, uh, was accused of rape and thrown in prison. Um, and, And he was highly favored. Daniel was another one who was highly favored, and he got thrown in a lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were highly favored, and they got thrown in a fiery... Do you hear what I'm saying? If an angel ever comes to you and says, blessed are you, highly favored, look out. (laughs) You understand the pattern of Scripture and the pattern of God's working in somebody's life. We heard this many years ago from a pastor that we were under. Those who God uses greatly are those that he takes through really deep difficulties. Why does he do that? Because he needs to root out the pride so that when God does great things, there's humility to carry what he's doing without being destroyed by pride and ego. And so the angel comes to Gabriel and says, highly favored. And so maybe Mary's thinking, oh, no, this is not going to be easy. (laughs) Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous people. They were righteous people. And they waited a long time. Past the time that they had any hope left. So verse 29 says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? Now, Mary is not questioning whether it will happen. 
She's questioning how it's supposed to happen. She's not saying, prove it to me. She's saying, I don't understand how that's going to work. And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. You know, I put, I put the New King James Version down underneath there because it says it a little differently. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Wow. You know, we have to have that perceptive, that perception, that absolutely anything is possible. Really, we do. Um, God is not at all limited. He's not even limited by our thoughts thinking that he can't. <laughs> like that's any contest. Nothing is impossible. No word that God speaks will ever fail. Nothing is impossible for him. Okay, where was I? And then Mary says this, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. You, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. You know basically what Mary was saying when she said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. You know what she's saying? Gail's not here. Yes, Lord. She's just saying, yes, Lord. Si, Señor. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. That's, that's about all it takes, you know, for God to do His miracle. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So here's the problem. Joseph and Mary live in, in Nazareth. And Jesus is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So how's God going to do that? Well, he reaches down and he touches the ruler of the earth at the time, Caesar Augustus. He puts a little word in his heart, in his mind. You need to take a census. So he takes a census. So David and Mary have to go to Bethlehem to register so that Jesus can be born. In. And that's just a little detail that... God lifts his finger to do, to make things happen according to his word. Now, there are two people in this whole story. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in a manger. And here's Caesar Augustus, who was the ruler of probably about 100 million people at the time. And everybody knew who Caesar Augustus was, and virtually nobody knew who Jesus was. And today, hardly anybody knows what Caesar Augustus' real name was. Does anybody know his real name? Well, how about the baby that was born in that little shack, that, the stable in, in a feeding trough? What's his name? Jesus. See how God has a way of writing history? Everybody thought Caesar was something, and yet here comes this little package in a stable, and now everybody knows who Jesus is, but nobody remembers that Caesar Augustus' name was Tiberius. That was his name. So, not so important, not so important. He is completely overshadowed by a little baby born in a feeding trough. You know, there's no room in Bethlehem for Jesus, just the feeding trough, just the feeding trough for the bread of life. 
that interesting? Jesus is the bread that came down from heaven. And they laid him in a feeding trough. (laughs) When God writes a story, he just leaves out no details, does he? He just... The word who became flesh, according to John, became a speechless infant. He couldn't talk. Isn't that weird? And God did that. Jesus did that all for us. All for us. And you know, the only ones who were there at the birth of Jesus were the ones who were divinely invited. The shepherds came. Why did they come? Because an angel appeared to them and then the heavenly host appeared to them and they came. And the magi came. We already talked about that last week. The magi came. They were invited and they came. But you know what's interesting about this whole story? When the magi came to Israel, they came to Jerusalem and, they, and their question was, where is he who was born king of the Jews? Remember that? We talked about that. It's like, you know, you want to start a, a riot? Where's he who was born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east. Whoa. So what did they do? They got the religious leaders together and say, where's the Messiah to be born? And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea. The wise men said, okay, let's go. So they take off and they follow the star right over the house. And the religious leaders would have only had to walk five miles to check it out. Did any of them go? None of them went, did they? Isn't that amazing? We'll talk about that in a minute. They didn't go. It was just the people that God invited divinely. Okay, I'm going to make seven, seven, pull out seven points um, about this story and, and Jesus' birth and just make some application. The first one, the birth doesn't begin with a baby but an elderly couple. That's where it starts. Starts with an elderly couple who thought that their lives were basically over. And the truth of the matter is that God uses anyone. He uses the young, the old, the rich, the poor. He brought the magi who were wealthy. He brought the shepherds who were poor. He used an old couple who thought that they could never have a child. And they actually probably thought, well, God already used this trick once before with Abraham and Sarai. Like they were old and couldn't have a child and supernaturally gave them a child. Well, that won't happen again, will it? Well, in a little different circumstance. But he came and he used them and he, and he gave them not just a son, but a great son. A great son. It's almost like, it's almost like when God has something really, really special to do, he chooses somebody to release that through and then he creates this huge vacuum around their lives that just sucks all the, all the good things, all the possibilities down a black hole. <laughs> you know, doesn't he? Just kind of, he just creates a, like, I'm going to make this look so impossible that when this happens, everybody will know, I did it. And then when he releases it, it's like this rocket ship that takes off. And it's amazing what he does, right? So it doesn't matter who you, he uses anybody. So I don't care what your circumstance is. I don't care what your condition is. I don't care where you come from. I don't know, care, well, I care who you are and I care where you come from. But it doesn't matter to God. Whatever you think might be hindering you or holding you back from whatever God wants to do in your life, 
doesn't matter. He can use anybody out of any circumstance in any way he chooses because nothing is impossible for him. We, we do need to be careful. I talked a minute ago about the religious leaders and, and uh, all the religious... They had the scriptures memorized. They, they memorized the scripture and they knew everything. They thought they knew everything. And yet when these, these wise men come from the east and say, where's the Messiah to be born? And they say, Bethlehem, Jesus. So they take off. They're not even a little bit curious. Not even a little bit. Not even one of them. What is that? That is a spiritual blindness that comes from pride. What's the lesson in that? The lesson is that when we think that we're on the cutting edge of what God's doing, we're in danger of being deceived. When we think we understand better than anybody else, we are in real danger of falling off the edge of the cliff. So how do we make sure that that doesn't happen? By focusing on our relationship with Jesus and friendship with Him. Staying close to Him and listening to Him and being dependent on Him for our understanding. Because we can begin to think that that we've finally got it or we finally figured everything out or we're just, we're like 